So if you have your Bibles with you, won't you take them out, please? And we will continue to glorify His name through His Word as we read and uh, ask Him, Jesus Christ, through His Spirit, to show us what He has in store for us through His Word this morning. Philippians chapter 3. And uh, I'll start from verse 17 through to 19. But uh, verse for today is verse 18. And this is what it says. Philippians chapter 3 verse 17. It says, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Verse 18. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. So verse for today, um, verse 18, says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and I tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Another translation, the ESV puts it this way, For as I have often told you before, and I tell you again, even with tears, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. God, I, I pray that you would help us not to be the ones who are living as enemies of the finished work on the cross. Thank you, Lord, for your redemption. Thank you, Lord for the way in which you are walking and helping us to walk this life. For your glory, God. Where we have been blind, because it's the spirit against the flesh, help us, Father, to see those areas, Father, that we can surrender those areas in our lives where flesh has taken over. And in some ways, we are becoming enemies to the finished work of your Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Help us to see those areas and help us, Father, to repent, surrender in those moments, and give you our lives again. We ask for your help, God, because we cannot do this in our own strength, in our own cleverness, in our own ability. We cannot do that. So we ask your Holy Spirit to help us. Show us and help us, we ask. Thank you, Father, that you're real in Jesus' name. So last week I started this uh, particular um, uh, part of Philippians from verse 17 through to 19. And I said that there were three points I'd like to highlight as we look at these three, um, three verses. And I ha then I mentioned the first one last week, which we discussed um, the first one was the, the followers of Paul, the followers of Jesus Christ, the friends of Paul 
in Philippi that he was writing to, he told them that they must follow those who set a good example. Paul then would uh, describe himself to, to them and tell them, look at my life. Follow me. Mimic me. Look at me. Do you see what I, the pattern that I have laid for you um, in the presence of uh, my King Jesus through his enablement, through his help? Well, look at me. If you cannot look at Jesus because we think as humans Jesus is up there, he's untouchable, he's unreachable, uh, the enemies lie. Well, then look at me as a fellow human being. Look at me. Look at how I live my life. And copy me. Copy me. And then he went on to say, okay, well, maybe you might think I am, in inverted commas, the great Paul, the great apostle Paul. God has done something in me. I almost walk on water or I float as I, as I go on the, in this life. So you cannot almost look at me. You think to yourself, you cannot, these things that I'm speaking to you about are impossible for you to follow in my, my footsteps. Well, then he, then he says, okay, you cannot look at Jesus. I, uh, a lie from the enemy. He is not untouchable. untouchable. He's not unreachable. He's right here with us through, through his spirit. Uh, you've looked at my, my life, Paul. I have set an example and I continue to do that. But he says then, look at your fellow um, friends. Look at your fellow believers, your, 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 the, the community that you're in, the church that you're in. Look at each other. Point out those who you consider mature and look at their life and mimic their lives. So don't necessarily mimic Paul because it might seem as though it's impossible. Don't necessarily mimic Jesus, which might seem impossible, which is a lie from the pit of hell because it, it is not impossible. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives in us. Well, look at each other. Who do you consider within your sphere of influence, your community, to be mature? Uh, can you live up to the way that they uh, uh, copy their example? And then I asked this question, which um, was quite a hard one for me to ask. Um, is, as you sat there last week, can you tell your friend, someone next door, whatever, your, your, your husband, your wife, Mimic my life. Look at my life and copy me. Not out of a place of pride, but out of a place of the grace that God has allowed me to walk this journey. Look at me. Can you say that? Can you do that? So the second point for today, Paul says to his friends, that they must note and avoid, avoid those who are enemies of the cross of Christ. So the first point is we have to follow uh, the, um, those who set a good example. Of course, Jesus Christ, Paul, and fellow uh, believers. And then he says we are to note. We are to note and avoid those who are enemies of the cross of Christ. See, in verse 18 and 19, it, um, there's a discussion about the, the, the enemies toward the cross. Speaks about the enemies against the cross. This chapter closes like it began. 
You remember we spent quite a bit of time where uh, we spoke about the word in chapter, um, in verse 2, where Paul addressed his friends and said, Be aware of dogs. Be aware of dogs. He wasn't speaking about people outside, or them too, not just the outside, but be aware amongst the Christian community. Be aware of dogs. Be aware of evil workers. How is that? Within the Christian community, we think we are in a holy place. We are in, you know, um, yet he would say, be aware of evil workers. Within the holy sphere, within the holy communi- community, uh, you know, that is a scary thought. Because sometimes we do, the enemy, it's his plan. He will say, now there are no evil workers within the Christian community. But remember, he, uh, he disguises himself as an angel of light. Comes into the, the cheap um, pen that um, um, Wesley Wesley was speaking about this morning. He comes in there disguised as a shepherd, disguised as an angel of light. And he comes, what is his point? What is his purpose? What is it? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I think that's how it goes. Steal, kill, and... Uh, the, yeah. He comes in to cause damage. He doesn't stand outside the sheep pen and just throw the you know, bombs. And uh, he comes inside within the community and he starts to do those kind of things. So Paul says, yeah, my friends, be aware of those who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Be aware of them. Now you see, at this point, it is good for us to note as Christians, as we hear the word of God, as we listen, as we engage, that the word of God um, is alive, is living, and is active. We know that. And it is truth. John seventeen seventeen says that the word of God is truth. We need to realize that to be forewarned is to be forearmed. In other words, the word of God forewarns us about life and what is going on. As he, through his word, forewarns us, he then helps us to be forearmed to tackle this life that is, you know, this, uh, this challenging life that we find ourselves in. But how then do we, how are we forearmed? Is not by lifting our hands up in fists and wanting to fight and cursing each other and in quarrels and all those kind of things, though they might happen. It's actually what we did this morning, surrendering to our King. Lifting up our hands on our knees and praying to Him. Sometimes doing ridiculous things. I mean, kneeling this morning is sometimes uncomfortable, isn't it? It's uncomfortable. But in this, in this context, uh, if I kneel, it's not as though I look weird. But it doesn't matter whether I look weird or not. You think of the people in Jericho. They were told they must march around the wall. Uh, it was seven times. And then they, at the end, they must scream. Whereas the army was, uh, you know, in our... In their understanding, our understanding, when you fight against an army, you got your guns and you are ready 
to go and fight. Uh, God's plans are different. He says, put down your, um, uh, your, your guns, put down your weapons, let us do something different. Walk around the wall seven times, and as you do that, scream and praise and whatever he said that they must do. That is absurd. Can you imagine the opposition? <laughs> they must have been uh, flabbergasted. Uh, we had to be going to kill you because we know we had to fight you, but uh, you are walking around the wall and singing or shouting. How, how is that? The seventh time that thing came crashing down. Why? Because the mighty hand of Jesus Christ was upon them. They listened, they were obedient, and in surrender to him, he was glorified. They, were, they benefited because they won, they moved forward. It was different. It was different. And so we don't have to pick up our guns. We don't have to um, clench our fists and fight. There are moments for those. <laughs> there are moments for that, that time. But oftentimes, actually what we need to do is stand back. Stand back and ask God, what is going on here? What is going on here? And how am I to react? How am I to pursue? How am I to take on this, this uh, particular challenge? Because remember, again, his word says that we do not fight flesh and blood, but principalities and um, dark forces in the, in, the, in the heavenly realms. Those are who we are fighting against. Now, can I say, you cannot fight against the principalities with your gun, and your, your fist, you can't do that. You're going to be beating A, as it were, shooting A. How do you fight them? It's by prayer. It's by confessing. It's by uh, giving your life again to Christ and saying, Father, I do not know how to handle this situation. But I'm aware I'm not fighting that individual. That one who's disgust is an angel of light, perhaps. I am fighting principalities. And my way is to come to you and pray and ask you to show me how to do that. So to be forewarned is to be forearmed. So Paul starts off here and he says, For many walk of whom I have told you often. In verse 17, he, Paul, encouraged the Philippians to mark out those who were mature. We've been speaking about maturity, walking this journey. We need to see why would he point out those who are mature? Why? Why? Uh, he says, well, point them out. And you who are not mature, and also part of recognizing that you're not mature and you need help, that is part of maturity as well. When I recognize that I need help, and I'm willing to say, please help me to understand and learn this, that is part of my maturity process. The enemy will try and say, you know, remember, that, that uh, I think it's a saying that says, pride counts before fall. And man, oh, how hard that fall can be when our pride is so, so, so big. So we need to be a people who are not proud and say, okay, I don't understand. I need to grow. I am a work in progress. Um, but let me identify those around us who are mature. And let me ask questions. Let me mimic them. Let me copy them as we follow Christ together. The reality of those who are mature is that they, they live on earth as though they are already in heaven. They live on earth as though they are already in heaven. We'll, we'll see that in, in uh, verse 20. But at this point, 
he Paul contrasts um, uh, he gives a graphic contrast he he sets forth the flip side those who detract from growth this is who he's pointing out we spent two weeks pointing, uh, pointing to the ones who actually are growing uh, and and saying you gotta look at them let's let's uh, engage with them but now he's uh, takes a step back and says, okay, well, let's look at those who are not growing, those who are detracting from growth. And um, here's a, as a, an example that we are um, familiar with. Um, and the truth is that the negative crowd will run with influences um, over our, our lives. Remember, if you're going with a crowd, it's that much easier to just follow the crowd, isn't it? But when you're alone in a crowd to stand for your, your um, uh, values and your principles, it's that much harder. Going, uh, going forward when everyone's going backwards, it's that much harder. And we know this is quite significant. Let's look at the, the example of teenagers. No one here is a teenager. Let's think about teenagers and, how, and their upbringing. You know, teenagers are generally, we, we classify them in a, in a uh, period of their lives where they have some sort of identity crisis. They gain their identity from what others in their group think about them. That's how teenagers, it, they, they're confused. They're trying to work out who they are, where they're going, and, and who am I? What, what, this, what is this life about? And that person who's popular or uh, that person who's famous, whatever, they, if he or she says this, when I need to be doing this, this is my identity. Well, let, let me do that thing that he or she is saying, then I'll become known as that person. I'll become accepted, I'll, whatever the, the, the case might be. See, teenagers are vulnerable when they're in the crowd. Or more so when they're in the crowd. Not just when they're in the crowd, but more so when they're in the crowd. When they are by themselves, they seem to be okay. They seem to be okay. When they run with a crowd, that is a whole other story. Uh, I've heard of stories where teenage, there's, one per, there's a teenager, this is, how they, this is who they are. They, they are a pleasant person. But as soon as they're in a different context, in a different crowd, it's like day and night. We cannot recognize this person. They are different. Why? Because they're running with influences from a crowd, um, which is a challenge for them as they try to identify who they are. They are easily led. See, group pressure sweeps them along in values that they would not otherwise hold. Group pressure sweeps them along in values that they would otherwise not hold. So we can flip it into the, the, the church community. If you, as a parent, get into, uh, you know, you direct and guide your children into the right crowd where they can see a living flesh and blood example of those who walk with the Lord, the impact will be for good. 
the impact will be for good. Here's the thing. Teenagers, children, spend a lot of their time at school. A lot of their time at school. So what influences are they getting from school, from peers, from teachers, from you know, all these? And they have uh, this, this amount of time that they spend at home with you as their parents. How much input are you giving your, your children? Children, teenagers, how much input with the time that you have? How much are you giving into them? Because remember, at home, it's a safe, it's a sa safe place. And um, I hope it's a safe place that they can be vulnerable and be real. At school, they are, you know, they are um, faced with all sorts of things. Life, pressure. They have to defend themselves. They, it's just, it's a, it's, a, it's a hard world out there. So they face with this uh, a whole lot of every single uh, five days of the week, more than they are at home, because I don't know how long they spend at school. I don't know, seven o'clock to two, sometimes more. And they only have time with us as parents, say from, you know, we are busy, we come from work, and uh, we don't want to be bugged or whatever. And it's, 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 it's a difficult one. So maybe they have two, three hours with, with us at, uh, in the evening. How much, what are you instilling in their lives in those two or three hours? Responsibility that God has graciously allowed us to have. And that's why it's important for a church community. That's why the word says that we are not to neglect the fellowship of believers. Why? Because in the fellowship of believers, we can identify those who are mature. We can uh, mimic them. We can follow their example. We can identify those who are not mature, those who are enemies to, uh, to the cross, and avoid them. But you can't do that in isolation. If you don't do that, you are thrown into the world. And what is in the world is um, the enemy. He is busy with all sorts of pressures that he's throwing in, in, um, in, in our paths. That's why it's important to be uh, in fellowship with each other. That's why church exists. That's why Sunday school exists for our children. Um, that's why youth groups for our teenagers exist. These things are, are not there just to, you know, uh, let's keep them busy. They are irritation. They are too much. Send them to children's church or send them to youth. Send them to somewhere else where they are away from us. No, that's a wrong, wrong um, perception. That's a wrong concept. These things exist to um, help us uh, train our children in the ways of God. Because if you're not doing that, someone else is... You know, there's a saying that I once heard that said, if you are not raising your children, someone else is. Whether you like it or not, if you're not intentional with your kids, if you're not raising them, someone else is. And the question is, who is it someone else? See, so Paul reminded the Philippians many times of those who would detract from their lives. He told them often, Paul employed this concept of we need to, you know, actually, we, we think to ourselves, maybe sometimes we shouldn't be avoiding people. But uh, if someone is an enemy 
to the walk, the, uh, the cross of Jesus Christ, we have every right to avoid them. Physically, we can avoid them. However, can I take it further and say, yes, I can avoid you because I can see you are dis, um, destructive. You are going backwards and I'm going forward. Then my responsibility is to avoid you, but then I pray for you. In my prayer closet, I say, no, that person is, uh, is, your, is your child. You love them as much as you love me. Uh, I see there's error or there's th- I, I don't see the, their lives according to the way that you, the pattern that uh, your, your word says we are to have. Then we are called to, excuse me, pray for them. We pray for them. Because remember, it's not our job to change each other. It's not, our job, it's not my job to change you, nor is it your job to change me. You can highlight things in my life that might be um, helpful for me to change and vice versa. And how I take it is up to me. How you take it, it when I highlight things, is up to you. It's not up to me. It's up to you. You decide how you're going to take it. Are we together? Uh, this is, uh, uh, I know there's parents, 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 parent, me. Um, parents, you never, your kids are older, but you're never too old, you know, to, to pray for your children. Um, but we need to influence our children in a biblical, positive way. Because if we're not, someone else is, and we know that, that someone is the world, and the world is not the way that uh, we want our children to grow. And so Paul continues, he says, And now tell you, even with weeping. So he, he addresses those people who are, um, are backwards, those who are enemies. And then he says, And now I tell you, even weeping. Now here's a man who Paul could uh, both take a strong stand and still exercise compassion. Now, that is a difficult one. Like I said, if you're going uh, forward and everyone is coming, uh, going backwards, it's hard for you to stand and continue going forward alone. It's a difficult um, balance to maintain. And the trouble is we are either rigid and immovable or weak and flexible. A mature person holds both conviction and flexibility in tension. See, Paul was inflexible with foundational truth. There's some foundational truth in the Word of God that we do not, we cannot be flexible with. This is what it is. Yet, Paul was compassionate with people, even to the point where he was weeping for them. So he's addressing these friends. He's saying, look at those who are uh, mature. Follow them. But be aware of those who are not mature. Those who are uh, enemies to, uh, to the cross. But I speak to you about them whilst I am crying. Weeping for them. Crying for them. Not uh, so that I look more spiritual than anyone else. But because there's a while, there's, the Spirit of God is, is um, crying out to, for these people to not become, um, to change from being enemies of the cross to friends of the cross of Jesus Christ. You remember what Psalm 126 verse 6 says. It says, He who continually goes forth weeping, 
bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. So we are, he who goes and is crying for those who are lost, he who is crying for those who are enemies of the cross, will know in no time rejoice as people turn. As people turn. So at this point, I wonder, we spoke about salvation this morning. We heard about the testimony about salvation. And as I was uh, just thinking and uh, praying and asking God, what, what is it? How? This is the question that, uh, that came to my mind. When lost, did you and I weep for someone who's lost? When last did you weep for someone who is lost? It's not a, not a judgmental question. It's just a true reflection. When last did you weep or consider someone who is... You can see... Uh, the trajectory of their lives is not where they, uh, they... We know that God says that His desires for all men to know Him. So I'm going to ask us to close our eyes just for the next little while. And I, want, I, I would I ask you to think of someone who you know is not a Christian. Maybe it's a family member. And bring that name to the forefront of your mind. And together we're going to pray for people who are lost this morning. And as we do that, Know that the spiritual realm is things that there's a war, there's an engagement. Because this that we are about to do is not wanted. Someone is opposing it. So as you are, for the next couple of minutes, just think of that person and start praying.
Not too far back. Okay, Jesus. Thank you, Father. 